I'm going to read to you this commitment. We've been going preaching through these five church commitments. Do we have that on the, on the screen? Of shepherding souls. Yeah. So let me remind us of this commitment and the foundational scriptures as we prepare to study these things and see them in scripture. The work of making disciples requires the intimate work of shepherds among the flock of God. Christ Church is a place where you will be known, loved, encouraged, instructed, corrected, and disciplined. This pastoral care extends beyond individuals to families and households as we seek to nurture godly homes in order to raise up the next generation of worshipers who are committed to advancing Christ's kingdom. We work together as the body of Christ to see boys become godly men and girls become godly women. In Acts 20, verse 20, we read Paul describing his work among the church. And he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. And then in 1 Peter 5, verses 2 and 3, we read, Shepherd the flock of God among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. And not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And then in Hebrews thirteen seventeen, we read this exhortation to the flock. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So this last week, Alex and I spent time uh, all day, Wednesday and Thursday and half of Friday at uh, Charles Simeon Trust Workshop, which is a workshop on how to preach the Word of God faithfully. I always tell people that basically uh, the gist of these workshops, and Simeon Trust does workshops all over the country and now beginning, I guess, to do them in other countries as well. <clears throat> I always tell people that the goal of the Simeon Trust is to teach people how to read. Teach people how to read. This is a basic, important concept that if you want to expound what the scriptures say, you have to first be able to understand when you read it, what they're actually saying. And it's very easy for us <clears throat> to latch on to ideas and to latch on to phrases or words and to run off on tangents that are not really what that passage we're preaching actually says. Right? And so, <clears throat> unfortunately, in a day and an age where it's 
not common to be taught how to actually read, we need remedial education for the pastors so that they can learn how to read. And although I pride myself in being able to read, it's still very helpful to me to be disciplined by other men to practice reading and then explaining what it is that I have read. And so a large portion of the work that you have to do is submitting yourself to the discipline of sitting in a small group and and with your work, showing your work, here is what I came up with. And having the other men look at it and then one of them is assigned the task of challenging you to defend your work. So, it's humbling, it's strengthening, it's encouraging, it's helpful. Now, why do I start with that story? Well, one of the things that uh, one of the things that comes up every year, this is the third year that we've been to this workshop that happens here in Cincinnati. Uh, down at uh, Faith in Milford um, with Godwin, Sathya Nathan hosting, if, if you guys know him. And uh, so one of the things that happens every time is that You've got a whole group of pastors together from all kinds of backgrounds. It's not, a, it's not at all a, uh, a group that all is alike. You've got people who are independent, fundamental Baptists, KJV-only guys, and you've got people who are PCA church planter types and all that that entails, and you've got people who are E-free, and you've you just got a lot of different types of pastors, a lot of different types of churches Represented, but one of the things that always happens is that people begin to ask the question, how much time is this going to take to really do this work every week? How much time is it actually going to take? And the answers from the, from the lead presenters, which there have been three different lead presenters the three different times we've been there, the answers are pretty, uh, pretty similar ac- across the board. Um, and basically, they say, well, you know, to really do this right, we think that it's going to take you 20 hours per sermon to do this. 20 hours per sermon. And so, um, they break down the different phases and, and parts of the work that are going to take that amount of time, add it all up, and you get this range, and somewhere in, somewhere in that range. <clears throat> now, if I could uh, be forthright, I don't spend anywhere near 20 hours on any of my sermons. I, ha- I have occasionally. There have been some sermons that have taken that long have been very, very difficult sermons, I would say, to prepare. But in general, I don't spend anywhere near that amount of time. And I think that I could spend 
a lot more time and that my sermons would benefit from more time being spent on them. But what is at stake with the expectation that there has to be about 20 hours per sermon spent in preparation? What's at stake is shepherding souls. And what I want you to hear me saying is not, I'm justified in being lazy in sermon prep. What I want you to hear me saying is that I have a commitment that, is, that, that we've just read about that I will not only be preaching to you, but I will also be shepherding you. I will not only be preaching to you, but I will also be shepherding you. I was sitting here thinking about the work of men who have gone before us. And I was thinking of some of the, uh, some of the men for instance, Martin Lloyd-Jones. And if I remember right, he was preaching an average of four times a week for years and years. I'll have to go and look that up again. I can't remember the numbers exactly. I just remember thinking, wow, that's a lot of preaching. That's a lot of preaching. Now, if he spent 20 hours a week per sermon on preparation, that would have done him in. He was already close to being done in several times because of his workload. And so, I'm not anywhere near being done in. My workload is low, and I think that every time when I compare myself to the men who have gone before me, in faithfulness and in discipline and in diligence in their work. And I praise God for them and their example. But even Martin Lloyd-Jones did not spend all his time on sermon preparation. And so, <clears throat> as we think about what it means to be a pastor, what it means to be an elder, what it means when we as a church say that we have a commitment to shepherding souls, I want us to see it in the Bible as one of the main things that gets taught about the work and about the duties that pastors and elders are to be giving themselves to. And so what we're going to do is, we'll come back a little bit to some of these verses I've already read, but we're going to read 1 Timothy 5. <clears throat> and what I want you to see is, this, this chapter of Scripture, just teaching what shepherding looks like. Teaching what shepherding looks like. Okay, now we're, we're reading this whole chapter and it has a lot of details. We're not going to focus on the details of exactly what is taught, but we're going to look at the big picture 
of how shepherding looks in those details. Okay? So please stand for the reading of God's word from 1 Timothy chapter 5. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters, in all purity. Honor widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well, so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to put younger widows on the list for when they feel sensual desires in disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle, as they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach, for some have already turned aside to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them. And the church must not be burdened, so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder, except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his angels, chosen angels, to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. No longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some men are quite evident, going before them to judgment. For others, their sins follow after. Likewise also, deeds that are good are quite evident, and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. This is the word of the Lord. 
You may be seated. Timothy is certainly given instructions by the Apostle Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that he is to preach the truth, that he's to never let his preaching suffer, that he's to work hard at preaching. But that's not what we see emphasized in this passage. What we see emphasized in this passage is a lot of instructions about how he is to be a shepherd. How he is to be a shepherd. So if this this letter to Timothy from the Apostle Paul is inspired by God and is meant to instruct us how we are to be shepherds. If God gave it to his church so that the shepherds would know how to shepherd, then what is it that stands out in this passage about shepherds? Well, it might be easiest to see it in the passage, or the section beginning in verse 17, which in my Bible has a helpful heading concerning elders, right? Concerning elders. And so when we got to that part, maybe it made more sense to you. You're like, oh yeah, okay, now I see where we're going with the whole elder thing. Now I understand uh, where he's getting to shepherds. Well, let's look at that part first. What stands out here about shepherds? Well, verse 17 and 18, we get this reminder to honor those who work hard as shepherds. Honor those who work hard as shepherds. The laborers worthy of his wages. And you see that that ruling well is particularly something we're looking for as we look to honor those who are elders. And particularly those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Why? Because it takes a lot of time and study. It does. The guys at Simeon Trust are right. What else do we see? Well, we see in verse 19, some of the dangers, one of the dangers that shepherds will face, particularly because they are in positions of authority. And we see this all the time today. Many, many people are attacking those who have shepherded the flock, accusing them of spiritual abuse. Spiritual abuse. Because... These men have dared to shepherd the flock and not just preach and teach from the pulpit, but to actually speak to them individually about their life. Which is not to say that spiritual abuse doesn't exist, you understand. But today we don't understand there being any difference between 
shepherding, and spiritual abuse. We don't understand there to be any difference between shepherding and spiritual abuse. When we look at what shepherding is, as we see it in this passage, we'll begin to realize, oh, yeah, that's what people don't like. That's what, that's what gets elders accused of spiritual abuse. And so in verse 19, one of the dangers that shepherds will face is accusations. And so there's a particular warning. It's always a principle that there shouldn't be any accusations accepted without multiple witnesses, right? One witness is not enough to justify any kind of action. But we're reminded particularly here not to receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Why? Because that's something that's likely to happen to elders especially. Is that one person will complain. One person will get angry. One person will bring an accusation. And I know of many pastors and elders who have faced these kinds of situations, even here in town in recent years. One person. And if the church understands the nature of shepherding, and if the church remembers this verse, one person making a complaint will not be received. It's commanded by God here not to receive that accusation unless multiple witnesses can be brought. But if the church forgets, then what happens is the work of shepherding suffers. And not just at that church, the work of shepherding suffers across the United States because of fear of these kinds of accusations because churches have not obeyed this command that accusations are not allowed on the basis of one witness against an elder. And so fear has driven shepherds to stopping their shepherding. The dangers that shepherds will face. We also see not just the dangers that shepherds will face, but the dangers that the sheep will face, right? The temptations that shepherds have. The temptations that shepherds have. One in verse 21 being partiality and bias. Partiality and bias. Now, is there anyone in here <clears throat> that doesn't have people they like and people they don't like? I mean, I, nobody's raising their hand. You all like some people and just have a hard time getting along with others, right? Even in your own family, there's people you like better and like less, right? And it's very easy to allow that to then turn into 
partiality. Now all the kids are looking at their mom and dads now and being like, yeah, see? I know you like her more. I know you like him more. Yeah, parents are not to be partial or biased, right? It's easy for us to assume on the basis of past performance, which financial people are always keen to remind us not to assume that past performance guarantees future returns, right? It's the same with our children. Just because he's always the one that's getting in trouble does not mean that actually he's the cause of this particular trouble. Right? Okay, so parents, you understand not to be biased. Elders are warned not to be biased, not to be partial. And of course, it's not just personal animus or personal preference that can cause bias and partiality, but we know in our society, because we're reminded of it constantly, that partiality can, can apply to whole groups of people, right? I like hanging out with people who are like me, and I'd rather not hang out with people who are not like me. And so the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter end up having a conflict, and one of them's right and one of them's wrong. And it's because Peter starts showing partiality because he likes the Jews better because he's a Jew. So we are warned as elders not to show partiality, which means that you all know it's possible for us to sin as elders and pastors in this way, showing partiality. And that we ought not to, right? We'll come back to the sins of shepherds later on. Verse 22, we see the necessity of choosing good shepherds. Don't lay your hands quickly on somebody, right? Don't appoint them to these positions quickly. You don't want their sins because they were rashly chosen by the church to have this big negative effect on the church and to cause sin and it to be partly your responsibility because you laid hands on them. The necessity of choosing good shepherds we see in this passage. And then, verses 24 and 25, we see the explanation that bad shepherds can be obvious or hidden. Bad shepherds, their sins, can be obvious or hidden. But it will become clear in time. Okay, so this is what we see about shepherds in our passage. But let's, let's take a step back and ask, what stands out here about what shepherding looks like? What shepherding looks like? Now, the first thing I want to say is that let's, let's jump back to partiality for a second. It's certainly possible for me to show partiality in my preaching, right? I could always be beating up on one type of person and going easy on another type of person. In fact, this is one of the primary complaints of uh, 
This is, this is one of the primary complaints about the preaching to men and to women over the course of the past, I don't know, 100 years, that pastors are keen to beat up on men and to go easy on women, to be hard on men for their sins, to hold them responsible, and then to give women a pass. It's the key complaint among a group of people. I, I don't know which group of people. I'm guessing it's not the women, though. If it's true, it's wrong. If it's true, it's partiality, right? And bias. The Bible confronts men and women with their sins. It's an equal opportunity confronter. And so preaching ought to be equal opportunity confrontation of sins and calls to repentance, right? Everybody is called to repent of their sins. Everybody is called to put their sins to death. But what I want you to see is that partiality in preaching is really not probably the main way that an elder would show partiality. Partiality is much easier to show in person, isn't it? Partiality is much easier to do. Bias is much easier to see when one person is getting snubbed and another person is getting the honor, right? And so, the first thing that we begin to see about what shepherding looks like is that it is personal. It's personal. In fact, you go back to the beginning of this chapter, verse 1, and what you see is that there, to shepherd appropriately requires you to deal with specific types of people differently. It requires you to be personal in thinking about how to shepherd. What does the verse, verse point us to? that shepherds are to address older men without sharpness. How we address people, older men are to be addressed without sharpness of rebuke. Young women with purity. Older men without sharpness, younger women with purity. Now, why would he say that? Is he trying to make us be partial? Is he trying to make us biased? No, he's trying to make us be personal. Not everybody can be addressed the same way. You must think about who you're addressing and how to address them. You must think about what the dangers are. You must think about how to apply the commands of Scripture to that person in your relationship with them. And so when we are commanded in the fifth commandment to honor our father and our mother, right? 
that has broader application, which means that we are to speak respectfully to those who are older than us. Even shepherds who have a position of authority, who are called elders, are to think of those who are older and to address them in an appropriate way. And then, of course, the younger women, it should be obvious, right? Why is the young man, Timothy, warned to speak as though the younger women are sisters with all purity? Because of sexual temptation, right? And so you can't treat everybody the same. You actually have to treat them differently. The world then says, well, that is partiality. Men and women ought to be treated exactly the same. And their age shouldn't matter in the slightest. Everybody should be treated exactly the same. Or it's bias. It's partiality, right? Men and women women should be able to be friends and so forth, right? So the world's crazy. But that's not the point. The point is, what does it look like to be a shepherd? It means addressing people differently based on the individual person that you are dealing with. And this is why I say it can't just happen in preaching. Shepherding happens individually, personally. Older widows get different instruction from younger widows. Older widows get different instruction from younger widows. Shepherding also goes beyond teaching spiritual things. Okay? Shepherding goes beyond teaching spiritual things. Oh, this can be easily misunderstood. Either because we don't understand what spiritual things are, right? Or because we are uh, completely devoid of any knowledge of what shepherding ought to look like. Let me give you some examples from this passage of how shepherding goes beyond teaching spiritual things. It deals with health, physical health. Paul shepherds Timothy by instructing him not to be a teetotaler anymore. Now, is that a spiritual thing? It's not. Now, of course, I know we can say, well, all of life is spiritual, right? But you understand what I'm saying. He's not addressing a spiritual reality. He's not applying some biblical principle here. He's just giving Timothy guidance about his health. Now, who wants their pastor to be their doctor? Nobody does, right? We'd rather have a doctor be our doctor. And rightly so, because... Doctors are trained to be doctors. And yet, what do you see happening here? You see Paul shepherding Timothy, saying, hey, don't drink water exclusively anymore. Now, why was Timothy drinking water exclusively in the past? We don't know. 
You can think of a lot of reasons, right? Could be some spiritual thing. It could be uh, that he was tempted by drunkenness. It could be uh, that he didn't want to cause others to stumble. It could be any number of reasons, right? And yet, you've got Paul speaking straight into his life about this detail that has to do with his health and saying, hey, whatever those other reasons are, you know what would be good for you to do in your health, and so you ought to do it. You ought to start drinking a little bit of wine, not just water. This is biblical shepherding. Speaking into the lives of the people of God in a way that deals with very personal decisions. It also goes beyond teaching spiritual things in that it takes note of worldly things. It takes note of worldly things. Now again, all of life is spiritual, right? All of life is spiritual, yes. But if it takes note, if biblical shepherding takes note of worldly things, it is able to benefit you spiritually. So what, does it, what do I mean by this? Verses 11 through 13. The Holy Spirit takes note of the likely temptations of different phases of life for different people. And so, sensual desires are likely for the younger widows and therefore they should remarry. Now, that's biblical shepherding to say that. For Timothy to turn around and to say that is for him to be a biblical shepherd as commanded by God to him in this letter, and the same to us as shepherds, right? Now here it can be here it can get a little bit tricky because we can say, okay, well, um, sure. Pastor, sure, elder, sure, shepherd today. I can see you saying that. But that's because the Bible says that. I don't want you speaking into my life about anything that the Bible doesn't explicitly give commands about, right? But notice what he's doing. He's looking at the world through eyes wide open. Hey, we know how this goes. And so let me tell you, the, the, the Bible doesn't give any instructions to traveling salesmen. They're, they're not mentioned, right? But I have eyes 
And I know what happens when you're out on the road traveling, and I know what the temptations are. And so, because of that, I speak to those of you who travel, and I warn you specifically about what to do and what not to do. And I seek to hold you to a high calling of holiness through personal shepherding by looking at the world and applying what we know. Looking to avoid temptation and sin in the particular situations that we face. The particular situations we face are vast, innumerable. The particulars of your situation are not like anybody else in this room in some ways. And yet, no temptation has befallen you but what is common to man. And so in that sense, I can take simple principles like this one we see here, Paul doing here, he's simply applying a basic principle And this is not a universal command, actually. You see, I'm not going to say, if a woman is widowed and she's young, whatever that means, and she never remarries, well, clearly she is violating Scripture. She's in sin if she doesn't remarry. No, that's not what this actually says. This is a general principle, an important one, one that we ought not to easily dismiss or lightly say, well, that doesn't apply to me. No, it applies to everybody, right? But it's not a simple, straightforward command. You, you get what I'm saying, right? We don't, we don't just have the option to snap our fingers and be married. Many of us wish that was possible, right? But it's not that simple. I didn't hear that yes or no. I heard a ch child answer, but <clears throat> I'll leave it. Yep. Snap of the fingers. Done. Married. Sometimes it's easier to snap the fingers and not be married. What a sadness that is. So we see it, shepherding is dealing with personal issues beyond the spiritual, the spiritual things when we think of spiritual things, right? Is it a spiritual question whether you remarry or not? Well, yes, like I said, all of life is spiritual. But when I say, is it a spiritual thing? You know, it's not part of the Ten Commandments, Right? It deals with personal questions. And so this is a general principle. And then the pastor, who's going to instruct the younger widows to remarry, has to be able to deal with the individuals personally. It also gives instruction on how to live your life how to spend your time, depending on who you are, whether you're a man, whether you're a woman. We see, the, we see this in this passage with 
what are they supposed to be, what are the widows supposed to be spending their time on? What have they spent their time on? Washing the feet of the saints is the common that we see repeated many times in Scripture. What are you to be spending your energy, your time on? Well, it depends on who you are and what your opportunities are and what your background is and who your family is. You see, all these things are what it means to shepherd. You have to actually take into account. It's easy to preach big principles. But then you meet with somebody and they say, yeah, but there's this detail over here for me. I've got $55,000 of student debt. Okay, well, that plays in, doesn't it? Right? We read Proverbs earlier in the service. And one of the things that you see in Proverbs is a bunch of these big picture principles, right? They're real helpful instructions. Hey, if you're surety for your neighbor, get out of it. Do what it takes. Get out of it. Okay. That's helpful. What is that? That's the author of Proverbs seeking to give shepherding. Big picture shepherding. Then we have to deal with the realities. Then we have to deal with the details. So now, let's, let's stop here and say, okay, we've got, we've got it, Pastor. We understand that you want to be intrusive into our life. You, you think you know better than everybody what they should do, how they should live, how their health should be, and what will help them with their health. You know all, great, grand, most holy and wise pastor, and so, fine, just tell us what to do. And then we'll probably ignore you, but, but you know, at least you'll feel good because, you know, we listened. No, please. Don't hear me saying that I know better. What I want you to hear me saying is, it is my duty to be a help to you in every area of your life. Anywhere I can be a help to you, I must be a help to you. And I will be held accountable for that. Now, let me ask you, do you think that I like to get involved in the details and the nitty-gritty of your life? I actually don't. And you know what's the scariest thing is when I think that I've gotten involved and I've made things worse. It's very tempting to just, you know what? Nope. Hands off. I'll preach the big picture and I'll leave the application up to you. Well, I'll say it in a more holy way. I'll leave the application up to the Holy Spirit. Right?
Biblical shepherding is scary for everybody involved. For everybody involved. So why have shepherding? And it can cause problems and dangers. And spiritual abuse is one of those potential problems, right? Elders will sin. Why is it that we need shepherds? When Jesus was alive, he looked at the people, big crowds of people who wanted to hear what he had to say, and it says, he saw the large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Many things. Think of all the things that he could have taught them. And we have a record of some of the things that he taught, but he taught them Many things. And you get these little pictures of him actually saying something very shepherding to a man who wants him to be a help to him. He goes, teacher, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. And how does Jesus shepherd that man? Who made me a judge between you? And your brother. That's not Jesus refusing to get his hands dirty. That's Jesus shepherding that man. But the people, they were like sheep without a shepherd. What does that mean? People without leaders. Now, did the people of Israel have leaders at that time? Yes, they did. We know them as the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? The Sanhedrin. The leaders existed. And they had plenty to say, but they were not teaching the people. They were not giving them good food. And so they were without a shepherd. And so we need shepherds in order to feed us. And when I say feed, generally that's going to take the form of preaching and teaching. But we also need shepherds to guide us. Which direction am I going to go? I don't know. I don't know which direction. I think what I'll do is I'll look for wisdom. How can I get wisdom in this world? Well, God has instructed me to pray to him for wisdom. But you know what else he said? In abundance of counselors, wisdom is found. And so I think I'm going to ask. I think I'm going to ask other people. Now, who should I ask? Who are you going to ask? Well, it depends on what the question is. If it's a spiritual thing, of course, I'll ask the pastor. Right? But all of life is spiritual, isn't it? So if it's a question of who to ask, how about asking the people who will give an account for how they have shepherded and guided you? One of the things that 
scares me most is when I hear that somebody in the church has made a major decision, a major life change, and I've never heard anything about them considering it in the first place. It scares me for a lot of reasons, but one is because it makes me question whether I have the hearts of the people, whether they are willing to hear what I have to say in their personal life. Why does that scare me? Because I need your hearts? No, because I know I can't do my work. I can't do what God requires of me unless that happens. So we need shepherds to feed us. We also need shepherds to guide us. Now this is where the sin comes back in. Why can't we just have Jesus be our shepherd? Wouldn't it be a lot nicer if Jesus could just be our shepherd? Because all these sinful men keep sinning against me. They keep being lazy. They keep being too intrusive. They keep being this. They keep being that. They keep being wrong. Even when they're not sinning, they're wrong. The Israelites had Jesus when he came. And you know what he did? He did the work of being a shepherd to them, didn't he? They were like sheep without a shepherd, so he taught them. So he guided them. And then you know what he did? He left under shepherds. He said, here's how it's going to work. I'm going away. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And there's going to be men leading. And they are going to have the responsibility of shepherding you. Just the way that God's people have always had leaders with the responsibility of shepherding them. This is how Jesus is being our good shepherd. He has determined that his church worldwide needs to be shepherded. And he, as the chief shepherd, has said, you know what? This is going to take the form of men doing the work. And then we bring up the objection again. But they're nothing like Jesus. They sin and fail in all these ways. And that's true. And it's painful. And it's a sad reality. But you know, they will answer for their shepherding. We read 1 Peter 5, 2 and 3 earlier where it says, shepherd the flock of God among you. It's written to the elders, to the pastors, and says, here's how you're supposed to do it. And then, we didn't read verse 4. Verse 4 says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory if you shepherd right if you shepherd the way you're commanded. But James 3.1 gives the other side of the picture. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. So Christ 
is your shepherd. And as your shepherd, he has given you under shepherds. Under shepherds who will answer for whatever they say and whatever they don't say. Now that is helpful to each of us whenever we are under any authority. Knowing that they will answer for what they've done. They'll answer for their teaching. They'll answer for their silence. They'll answer for their judgments. They'll answer for every idle word. Why is that why is that helpful? Why is that encouraging to us? Because we know that our chief shepherd has not forgotten us. He is still shepherding us. It's not adequate for us to just choose men who seem to be wise and to let them be the rulers. They need to be under the chief shepherd. And they will answer for it. So, why is Christ's church committed to shepherding souls? Because God requires it. It's really that simple. It's not because your elders and pastors are particularly holy. Though they better be. It's not because they are particularly wise though they need to be. It's because this is how God has chosen to shepherd his people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that that great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus Christ, came as a lamb and died so that the rest of the lambs of the flock could live. And Father, we thank you that we are not each on our own seeking to feed and guide ourselves, but that you have provided for us shepherds who will give an account. And so Father, may your shepherds here at Christ Church have wisdom. May they be holy. May they avoid partiality and bias. May they be pure. May they be honoring to those elders who have gone before them and the works of holiness that older women have given themselves to throughout a lifetime of service. And we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.